Hello, everyone, and welcome to Youth Radio. I'm your host tonight, Diana Baron Moore. And I'm Kyle Ferris. On this week of July 23rd, 2006, somewhere in the world, there is great jubilation due to the passing of some highly obscure and greatly revered holiday. Which we sadly know absolutely nothing about. But we're sure you will forget your sadness at this once you experience the marvelous array of segments we have tonight. First among these is a piece featuring four teens involved in the Southern Doña Ana Action for Youth program. Also, Kyle is going to make us feel miserable about our lack of concern for the future in his conspiracy corner. After which we'll feel much better once we hear Diana's piece about the working classroom play Yemaya's Belly that will be showing soon. But of course, first we have music. Take it away, music person. Hey, hey, hey! My name is Sharon Kai, and I'm here tonight to bring you some more music that you may or may not like, depending on your taste. And if you don't like any of my music, maybe I won't like you either. Ha ha ha! Just kidding! Anyways, first off tonight, I've got a returning band for you. The band Clear Static is winning over new fans with a nostalgic look back to the 80s with their new wavish sound while keeping people modern with their emo-ish lyrics. Here is Tuesday on My Mind by the band Clear Static off their debut self-titled album. That was the Gorillas, who are enjoying major success with their second album, Demon Days, and are showing no sign of stopping. That was the ultra-dandy dance song, White Light, off the album, Demon Days. Now, back to your insanely, amazingly awesome music uh, host. Southern Doña Ana Action for Youth is an organization whose purpose is to prevent high-risk behaviors among young people ages 12 to 18, such as drugs, alcohol, tobacco use, gang involvement, negative peer pressure, and teen pregnancy. Doña Ana is a rural area located in southern New Mexico. Four Action for Youth teens from this area talked to Roberta Rael about the successful projects in their communities and the obstacles they're up against. Hi, I'm Manny Becerril. I'm 18 and I come from Chaparral, New Mexico. My name is Albert Arrocha. I am 18 years old and I come from Chamberino, New Mexico. Good afternoon. My name is Denise Terrazas and I am from Chamberino, New Mexico. Hi, my name is Nathan Terrell. I am 15 years old and I'm from Action for You, Berino. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the communities that you come from the communities that you live in? This is Denise. Um, when it comes to Chamberino, you get there and all you see is farm, farm, farm. And 
The funnest thing to do there or the funnest place to go to is a dry baseball park. And that's about it. Other than that, there's a post office, there's a fire station, a church, and that's all. This is Albert. Um, I also come from Chamberino, and everything Dini said is true. There's not much to do there. It's just a farming area. Do you know the population? Um, I know there's oh, there's around 130 families in the in the little town of Chamberino. Thank you. Uh, it's Manny, and well, I come from Chaparral, and there also ain't much to do around there. There's a uh, mountains all around, and desert. And, well, the population, there's uh, like uh, 150 families there. Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Action for Youth, how long you've been involved, in what capacity, or what projects that you've worked on in the past. All right, well, I am representing the Chamberino Youth Group through the Southern Doña Ana Action for Youth. They have been supporting or they're help they're helping us, Maida Franco and who's wasn't able to wasn't able to come. We've been working together to get a community center for Chamarino. And you know, like I said, uh, Southern Lanyana Action for Youth has been there helping us out all the way. This is Abra Rocha and um I've been in action or Southern Doniana Action for Youth for around five years already. And I was in Action for Youth I was uh, mostly a member, but then I turned into the youth coordinator where I just took up some more responsibilities. And that was my role in Action for Youth. This is Manny. I've been in Action for Youth, Dona Ana County for about a year and a half now. And I, uh, I was vice president, but now since I've graduated, I guess I've moved on. And it's, it was fun there, being there, helping out people, and I had a good time. This is Nathan. I've been in Action for Youth um, a year and a half. I am a recruiter there. And, uh, you know, Action for Youth has been really good for me. I mean, it, it helped me a lot staying out of trouble. So what are some of the current projects that you're working on? This is Nathan. I, well, Action for Youth worked with, um, we did the immigrant bill, uh, 4437. And um, our three goals were to prevent a walkout in two days, um, educate the students about the bill, and prevent another walkout within uh, another two weeks. So it's the Sensenbrenner House Bill? Yes. Anybody else want to talk about that? Um, I think this was a huge event because in our, in our area, Sundoniana area, um, it's mostly made up of Hispanics or Mexican um, people with the with the, the strong um, background, and a lot of people really have a passion or f are really passionate about what was going on. They really took it to the heart, and I think that's why it was really important. It was really important for us to educate the students about it, because a lot of them they knew that something was going on with immigration, but they didn't know what it was about, how to address it, and what can we do something or what can we do about it. And that's what we were trying to do. Give these students options. Um, give them options and opportunities to express themselves. And like Nathan was saying, what we did was provide the students with, um, with the PowerPoint presentations of bits and pieces of, the, of HR 4437. We also 
um, made available to them two um, discussion walls in the cafeteria. One said, "Are you? Why are you for 4437, and why are you against HR 4437?" And this really made a big impact for the students because I mean they had a, they had all these questions, they had all these concerns, they had a lot of pressure, and they just needed to they just needed to write it down and have people take notice. And we also made um, little sheets of paper with the names of the senators, people they could con uh, contact to, if they feel they want to take another step. And for those students that say, well, you know what, that just wasn't enough, we also, put, we also had students make petition booths that were available for students in the cafeteria. So we went through all these steps to help the students and to make sure they um, express themselves. And um, I know that Gaston High School was recognized, we were recognized for taking an alternative and positive approach for this. Denise, any projects that you've been working on? Yes. Since we have nothing to do, like I said, in Chamberino, we got together with Mike, Mike Milam from NMCE, and he worked with us in focus groups, working out, you know, pretty much talking about our issues. The top one was nothing to do, and the solution to that was, you know, building a multi-purpose center. From there, we took the steps like going to legislative training along with NMCE and you know there we got great tips on how to talk to legislators so you know we can get their support and in January we went to Santa Fe to the Capitol building to talk to Senator Mary Kay Papin and Representative Mary Helen Garcia so that we can get their support. Fortunately we did we, when I'm saying we, I mean Mayra Franco and me. Like I said, she wasn't, she wasn't able to come. And well, after all the hard work, you know, we gave up a lot of our time. We slept late for, you know, for so many days just working on this, plus, you know, school homework, etc. The outcome, you know, thanks to Senator Mary Kay Pippen and Mary Han Garcia, we got in total $150,000 for plan and design. And now we're going to work for the next, for the next session to get money for the actual construction. Well, congratulations. I think that that's a huge accomplishment. And Thank you. you just gave us a great example of something, um, a success story. But I'd like to hear from some of the other of you here, how do you know you've made a difference? Well, first I'm going to tell you the, the issue that we're facing and the problem. The, um, I guess in high school, teen pregnancy is a, is a huge problem, and it's the same thing across the country. We've taken, we've spoken with many other organizations. We partnered up with the National Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy, which is a national, which, like <laughs> what it says, it's a national campaign. And they give us different ideas and different steps. And we also work with the nurses staff at Gaston High School to help give us the statistics and on the inform information we need. But we just, we get the word out there. Um, for the last five years, the teen pregnancy rate at Gaston High School has been in the hundreds. There's even been um, recordings or records saying that there's been pregnancies at the middle school as well as the elementaries. So if you really think about it, to me, teen pregnancy has really become an epidemic. It's out of hand, it's out of control, and we gotta try to fix it as soon as possible. Um, we've done a lot of promoting um, abstinence, and we've been working 
with providing um, contraceptives at the schools, um, as much sex education in the school as possible. And through the years, the numbers, even though they've been in the hundreds, they've slowly been decreasing. I see that as a success. Because if we could save that one girl from being from not being a teen mother, that's all we need. Um, what do you think has inspired you to be a young person who wants to make a positive difference in their community? Um, I think it comes from our environment because not all of it is positive. And I think it's that negative that helped install that, that passion in us. Because I have five friends that are pregnant, are teen mothers, and I have two cousins that are teen mothers. So it hits personal, too. You know, it hits home a lot. So tell me what have been some of the most difficult or challenging aspects to your experience as being a young person making positive change? Well, I could tell, like, going again to teen pregnancy, sometimes a lot of people don't want to address the issue. I know at Gaston High School, um, when we're going towards the board meetings and the parents and the school board, they didn't want to touch sex. They didn't want to touch the topic of sex. And they didn't want to touch the topic of teen pregnancy. So that was that alone was a huge obstacle. Because, I mean, we need to say, you know what? It's a problem. It's here. we got to deal with it. You can't just turn away from it. So getting people to realize that it was such a huge problem. The next step was saying, well, we have, these, we have a large number of students pregnant. What do we do? What can we do? And that's just um, when, I guess that's sort of when... Um, the wanting to change comes in and be like, okay, you know what? This is what we're going to do first. We're going to do our research. We're going to see, um, excuse me, the statistics. We're going to look at different programs, how different people ran them, and how it how it could work for us. So, like I, like you said, there there are obstacles out there. But I mean, if we if we want to do it, we won't let them stand in our way, and we haven't. This is proof that we haven't let obstacles stop us. Denise, this whole campaign that you've worked on. Talk to me a little bit about what has been challenging, what's been hard. The most challenging part about it is, well, I'm very attached to my family, and having to miss a lot of those, you know, family events to do this is really tough for me. And like these guys were saying, having a positive influence in somebody else's life, that's good enough for me, you know? Um, just to add to Denise, it's because like a lot of people didn't think this could happen. A lot of when they heard that these two young ladies were gonna take on such a huge issue or just take on a huge project, like bringing a multi-purpose center to a little community, we're like, you're not gonna get the money, you're not gonna get the funds. A lot of people are like that, and to prove them wrong and to make that big change, I mean, that's huge. That just showed up. That gave people a huge sign, and I know now because of these two young ladies' um, strong act, other communities are looking towards doing the same thing, like Santa Teresa. To add to what, I guess as part of my final words, to add to what Albert was saying about how people didn't think that we were going to be able to get this money for the multi-purpose center, is that even though someone tells you you can't do it, you go all the way until you know you have tried your best and that you have, you know, just tried everything. That's what we did and look what we got. There was a point where we thought, you know, it's not gonna happen, but it's good to know that we did. And also I wanna add that basically what it comes down to, if you are not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem. So if you're not gonna do anything about it, don't complain. 
to all the youth out there, there's a, there's a youth, there's a movement going on with youth today, a very strong and powerful movement. And don't be discouraged on your community or how poor your community is or how small your community is. I mean, if you want to make a change, then do it. If you see, if you go outside right now and you look around your community and there's something you don't like, do something about it. Just make that change. Take it on. Special thanks to the members of Southern Doña Ana Action for Youth and Roberto Royal and Mercedes Mejia for producing this piece. To listen to this or any other Youth Radio segment again, go to kunm.org slash youthradio. In the meantime, here's more music. No, I'm not going to play any more music, Kyle. I, I will not play any more music. I am not your monkey and will dance on command. Yes, you will. Dance. No, Do it no, now. No, Do it. Yes. No. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Next, I got a hip dance beat from the techno pop duo Fisher Spooner. Here is Never Win from their second album, Odyssey. and talented Nellie McKay's debut album, Get Away From Me, was a two-disc masterpiece of varying sounds and music styles, even rap. It won the hearts of critics and eventually earned her a lot of attention, but when she wanted to make her second album, Pretty Little Head, another two-disc set, her record company flipped and shelved the project while she fights to release it as she wants. But for now, that was Won't You Please Be Nice, a satirical take off of modern and 1950s marriage. All right, now I'm going to throw it back on to your, you know what, I'm not even going to say it. Here's your host. This week on Kyle's Conspiracy Corner, we're going to talk about economics. Let's give him a warm welcome. Take it away, Kyle. When I was younger, I can't describe the number of times my parents said, when I was a kid, I didn't have all the stuff you have now. And I can't describe how much that irritated me. I can't deny it's true considering I drove to the station today in a brand new Hyundai Accent, leaving three other cars at home while my mother's family had only one car. No, what I hate about that kind of statement is the hypocritical nature in which it is spoken. What I hate is the truth of it. The fact of the matter is that my generation is growing up in conditions that would have been next to luxury when my parents were my age. What I hate it is that is completely true. I can't speak for everybody, only my parents and the few others I know, but what I've seen is that my parents chose to accumulate material comforts rather than have me live the way they did. 
I can't say I'm unhappy with that choice, but at the same time, there are those little comments thrown in about what it was like when they were kids. It's not the way it was when they were kids anymore, and we largely have my parents' generation to blame for that. This generation has been raised on as one of the singularly most materialistic and self-absorbed of any country or time. Consider this statistic for the moment. The United States consumes around 25% of the Earth's resources while making up about only 5% of the world's population. Doesn't that seem a little disproportionate to you? In any decent society, that huge excess would at least mean that everyone is living the good life. But instead, our poverty rate is higher than that of any other first world country. I can go to school and see huge numbers of people living on the streets because they have no money to get an apartment or house. Then I sit in school and listen to my classmates talk about all their stuff, from the fact that their car isn't the color they would like, to the latest type of music playing device. How can we justifiably live our lives the way we do when there are entire continents where people live in conditions that cannot be accurately judged as humane? How can we turn on the news and see a little boy in Africa who is so hungry that he's actually incapable of digesting anything and then go and stuff our faces at the local Applebee's? How can we see an old woman in rags begging for money on a street corner and then go and spend hundreds on the latest fashions? How can we drive our gas-guzzling vehicles every day when scientists have undeniable evidence showing that not only do we not have unlimited stores of fossil fuels, but that we are also in great danger of destroying our environment through wanton use of dangerous chemicals and substances? It always seems to come down to apathy. Regardless of the conspiracy I consider, it is almost always apathy at its core. The conspiracy is greed, and that we just don't care enough. We say, oh, I'll be fine, let someone else deal with the consequences. But it's not going to be like that. We'll begin to feel the effects of our actions within our lifetimes. What will happen when suddenly it's us struggling simply to survive? Will we be able to maintain the callous attitude we display to the rest of the world? Or will it be that maybe we will actually have to start caring? I don't presume to exempt myself from this situation, and I probably have more responsibility given the way I live than most. This isn't about blame, though. It's pointless to try and find who was responsible because in the end, that's only trying to absolve ourselves of responsibility. Together is the only way to reach the future. For KUNM Youth Radio, I'm Kyle Ferris. I've been thinking about how to talk about greed. I've been thinking about how to talk about greed. I've been wondering if I could sing about greed. Trying to find a way to talk about greed. Greed is a poison rising in this land. The soul. People twisted in its command. It moves like a virus, seeking out everyone. Greed never stops its work and never ever done. A creeping, choking, killing, invading everywhere. There is really no escaping greed's sneaky snare. I've been thinking about how to talk about greed. I've been thinking about how to talk about greed. I've been wondering if I could sing about greed. Trying to find a way to talk about greed. Not partial to gender or your sexual desires. All at once
boxes for you to want to own to possess and to buy. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, I want to tell you about my brand new fourth vehicle. Um, it's a Hummer, and I cannot wait to get my driver's license so I can cruise central for hours. Jaren? Jaren? Oh, oh, sorry. I was talking on my highly expensive cell phone and looking at a picture of my brand new sports car while drinking my highly caffeinated, overly priced drink. Oh, I'm sorry, I lost track of time. Oh, funny being rich. <laughs> anyway, anyone who's ever played a Silent Hill game knows that the game rests more on its storyline and delightfully creepy music from Akira Yamioka. Well, tonight, I have the opening theme song from the very first Silent Hill. Take it away. scared of me yet that was the disturbingly beautiful poe off her album hello with the song angry johnny and that song is going out to my mother remembering better times and happier places ha huh, now do you think you can handle any more show i don't think you can handle any more show uh-uh all right you know what never mind i'm just gonna give it back to your host i mean i think they want to talk to you I'm a thespian. I like theater. Here's a piece about theater. Working Classroom will be presenting a play called Yemaya's Belly. I'm here with Brendan McCall, director, and Michael Lopez, actor. So, could you tell us a little bit about the plot of this story? My name is Brendan McCall, and I'm the director. Uh, the play centers around a young boy named Jesus, who's a Cuban kid with an extremely vivid imagination. Uh, he dreams of nothing more than going to America, uh, inventing a new kind of Coca-Cola, and eating different kinds of meat every single day of his life. Along the way, um, his parents die in a fire in his uh, small town. Uh, he befriends a young girl, and they set off on a boat towards America in the sea. And the ocean, this band never spoils. Did you go with her? Sometimes. You actually went inside of America? They have a hundred kinds of coke there. What? I thought there was only one kind. They have a thousand kinds of meat in a can. Have you tasted them all? You can live there all your life and you still wouldn't have enough time to taste everything. I eat a different kind of meat in a can every day until I tasted each kind. And I drink a different kind of coke each time to wash it down. Do they have coke for like a What about this play made you interested in directing it? And you interested in acting in it? I've worked with Working Classroom uh, three times before as a teacher. 
I've taught acting and movement. And so I've been interested in directing for them for a couple of years. So when this opportunity arose, I was free and I was available. I like the fact that it was a new play. It's only been done, I think, four times before now. And that there's a lot of opportunity for physicality and choreography. There's not uh, a giant set. Um, a lot of the uh, locations are uh, dream worlds and fantasy worlds as well as outside, indoors. So there's lots of opportunities for the actor to show off a kind of performance virtuosity. And that's really, really fun to work with with this group. They're extremely smart as well as physically enthusiastic. So it's just uh, a real dream to work with. <laughs> My name is Michael Lopez, and I'm playing Jesus slash Mulo. And um, I was really excited about this play when I read it, um, just because it has these um, rituals um, throughout the play um, that are just like extremely physical, like Brendan had said. And um, I got really excited because Working Classroom is a physical-based theater program. Um, and I just got really excited about you know undulating and doing all these ridiculous movements to um, portray something really beautiful like um, um, for Richard for example his wife dies and he says that she is rice and he pours this rice over his head and then he eats the rice and Mulo my character he has a coke for the first time and the bottle so cold he does this ritual dance with it trying not to drop it and it's really exciting and the play was just really beautifully written I like this store I definitely consider buying it here's your coke thank you Ow! It stuck my hand! What? It stuck my hand when I touched it. Oh, what a damn mess. You kids coming off the street, no supervision. Why does it feel like that? Cold? Oh. It's straight out of the refrigerator. I didn't drop it on purpose. Have you ever had a Coke before? Um, can you tell us about the significance of the title of the play? The title, Yamaya's Belly, um, that's a great question because it's uh, referred to, but it's not a, it's not a giant advertised idea. Yamaya is a goddess in Santeria worship, and she's often called the Lady of the Sea. She's referred to as like the uh, like the Madonna or uh, the Virgin Mary. So there's a character who appears twice uh, in the play, once very early on when uh, Jesus first goes to town. He meets this carnival performer who he realizes that there's something powerful and strange about her. There's something different about her. She's an incarnation of Yamaya, who appears a couple of times later uh, as he goes further along his journey. Do not forget me. Come back to me, and I will slay your enemies. I will crusade for your comfort. I will swallow those who spite you. I will leave your enemies crying in shame. Then, when death comes, you will see through the eyes of your parents. You will see through the eyes that saw before you. My time travels the surface of the earth, but returns to the same shore. The hearts of my children return to me, to the breast of Yamaya. So the title specifically refers to, a, I think, a central theme of the play, which is about remembering your roots, your, whether they are cultural, uh, familial, um, I guess, uh, 
in terms of your beliefs, your thoughts, your feelings, because Jesus really wants to sever all of his ties as being a Cuban kid from an impoverished background. He just wants to be this successful American businessman. And Yemaya is giving him a kind of warning that you cannot do that, that it's by nature an impossible thing to do, that success comes from incorporating your past into your present, into your future. So I know that this play has a lot to do with immigration. What, for you personally, makes the issue of immigration something that you care about? And how did that sort of interact with your decision to do this play? Yeah, I think immigration is a complicated, controversial topic that I I think, fortunately, everyone can relate to, uh, especially the people here in New Mexico. I'm from New York City, so I'd say at least at least everybody is not from New York. And um, I think everyone uh, who knows about American history realizes that the country as it is now, a lot of the best parts of America were created by people who came from another country or from another place, whether it was being refugees from war or fleeing a famine or just seeking a new opportunity. And I think at the heart of it is an understanding or not understanding, a question of who are we and who is the other, someone who that we think of as different from us. I think the play illuminates these things in a a very tangible way um, in terms of some initially humorously, like we see it, Jesus's perception of America is mostly on its products. It's about uh, hotels and food and beverages and money which in some ways is silly. On the other hand, that's how America is often portrayed in the world. It's Coca-Cola, MTV, and Microsoft. So now we're starting to see, well, what are the deeper questions? What are the deeper different differences between these um, cultures of Cuba and America in the play? But I think by the end, hopefully the audiences will see that there are more similarities than differences and that the differences themselves make for a, a richer more robust community. So I think it's a great thing for everyone to see now, and I hope that there could be more uh, ongoing dialogue with audiences in the community afterwards. Very cool. <clears throat> Michael, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> wow, he touched it really perfectly. Uh, uh, I don't know, just within working with this play and the idea of family and experience and how they influence you, um, it's just interesting to see how my character, Jesus, who finally changes his name to Mulo, he just kind of blinded by all of the Coca-Cola and spam and American, like, you know, craziness. He um, he forgets about his family and he wants to leave them. And it's really sad because people do do that. And, and it's not always because they want to and they're stubborn like my character was. It's because they feel like they have to sometimes. And um, I don't know, I think that this play kind of touches on that and that just... I don't know, this play kind of brought that up for me and made me think about that a lot more. I'm moving to the city. You got relatives there? Family? I don't have family anymore. Don't say that. You got family. I'm your family. This whole town is your family. This town? Before, the sun would rise and I would bring my poppy's cup of coffee. Now it's dark in the morning. The sun doesn't even bother. The roosters don't know what time of day it is. Everyone's dead. So any final thoughts that you would like to put out there on the airwaves? 
It's a wonderful play. Tickets are available. Um, I know I, I should just say that. I, I really think uh, theater is a wonderful thing to see more and more because unlike a film which is made and shown and it just it can be shown in a million gazillion screens at the same time, theater by its nature is created by the community that it exists within. So I hope that the community of Albuquerque sees what its community is doing by this play that's been created, and uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, the dates are July 28th through August 6th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at the South Broadway Cultural Center, and uh, shows are at 8 o'clock, except Sunday, which is at 2, and um, you can find out more information about tickets, reservations, student discounts, and group rates by going to www.workingclassroom.org. Great. Thank you to you both, Brendan McCall and Michael Lopez. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Get in my belly. Oh, forgive me. Wrong performance. Anyway, thanks to Brendan McCall for allowing Diana to go and get a sneak peek at his upcoming play. Now it's time for Calendar. Hello and good evening. This is Marshallon and I have with me a list of events that should interest you to make your summer more enjoyable. On Wednesday, July 26, Summer Sunset Lecture Series presents Akuma Poet, Writer, Professor Simon Ortiz he will give a talk titled Indigenous Sovereignty, Identity, Land, Culture, Community at 6.30 at Zimmerman's Library, West Wing. Also on Wednesday, the New Mexico Poetry Alliance presents a reading by Karen Howell at the Barnes & Noble by the Coronado Mall. It begins at 7 p.m. For more information, call 883-8270. The first annual New Mexico Jazz Festival will be presenting Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra led by Arturo O. Faril two nights, Thursday, July 27th and Friday, July 28th. The first night at the National Hispanic Cultural Center in Albuquerque, 1701 4th Street Southwest. Tickets available at Ticketmaster, 883-7800 or at Ticketmaster.com. Tickets are also available at the National Hispanic Cultural Center box office. 724-4471 Then the next night, Friday Friday the 28th, Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra will be at the Lenzik Performing Arts Center in Santa Fe, 211 West San Francisco Street. Tickets available at the Lenzik Box Office, 9881234 or at TicketSantaFe.com And also starting their Broadway show, Yuma's Belly, the the weekend show begins Friday, July 28th through Sunday, the July 30th. The Friday and Saturday show starts at 8 p.m. and the Sunday show begins at 2. For more information, you can call 242-9267 or 848-1320. Real Revolution has curves, an all-day workshop put together by Young Women United. 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday, July 30th at 102 Morningside Northeast. For more information, you can call Young Women United at 831-8930. South, South Valley Male Involvement Project 
and Southwest Organization pro Project are presenting Rock Out With Your Socks Out and With Your Cows Out, <laughs> a community event aimed at teens 14 to 21, intended to entertain, empower, and educate all in one place. The event will be in will be outdoors at Atigüe Park near Old Town from noon to 6 p.m. Saturday, August 26. And they are also seeking entertainment. So if you if you're a musician, poet, or other type of performer, you can call 247-8832 or 833-9950 for further information. And that concludes tonight's calendar for for the show. If you have any events that you like posted in our youth radio calendar, please send them to youthradio at kunm.org. This is Marsh Chalon, and now back to your host. We regret to inform you that we're out of funny for the evening. Perhaps by next week we will have renewed our supply of funny. Until then, you'll have to do with no funny. Our producer tonight is Michael Harley. Our engineer and calendar host is Mars Chalon. Our music director is Jaron Kai. Our adult co-conspirators are Mercedes Mejia, Roberto Rael, Steve Emmons, and Marcos Martinez. Others in the Youth Radio Collective are Philip Riley, Paula Castillo, Tracy Tram, Mina Lee, Lucia Martinez, and Avikra Lucky. I'm your host, Diana Barron-Moore. And I'm Kyle Ferris. Next up is Spoken Word. Maybe they'll have funny. <laughs> <laughs> 